welcome once again to Cinemaholics, where we talk about the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online. From the San Francisco Bay Area, I'm John Agroni, chief editor of Cinemaholics, film critic for Awards Watch This Wool and the Young Folks. And for my zombie heist location, I think I might settle for wine country. From Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend, and he's uh, standing over someone's bed with a gun. That's suspicious. It's Will Ashton. Uh, not my favorite intro, I'll admit, but I'll take it, I guess, given the film we'll discuss in a little bit. You can find more episodes of Cinemaholics, including our full archive, on cinemaholics.com, including written reviews and other bonus content. You can write into the show anytime by sending us an email, cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com is how you do that. And if you'd like to support our show, help us keep the fun going, please head on over to patreon.com slash cinemaholics. We also have a merch page if you want to get hoodies, mugs, t-shirts, or shot glasses with the Cinemaholics logo. Check that out on cinemaholics.com. All right, well, Ashton, lots to talk about this week. A Netflix Zack Snyder movie. Feels like we just saw a Zack Snyder movie last month or so. But hey, we got another one coming right up. Yeah, well, a completely new one. The last one was, I guess, technically a director's cut Mm -hmm. of sorts. Right. But yeah, this is a brand new 2021 film. Right, we'll be getting into that as well as Writers of Justice, a, I think, Danish film. Oh, very much so. Yeah, it's like an action movie we'll be getting into. And then finally, a very interesting indie drama called The Killing of Two Lovers. Before we get all to that, oh boy, I I wanted to bring up, I I guess like I'm holding your feet to the fire a bit, Will, because a few weeks ago you were like, man, yeah, this, this, the week of May 21st, I mean, what a light week, no movies, nothing's coming out. Maybe we can do our summer preview. I got super excited. I was like, wow, you know, we'll, we'll have, we'll have so many options. But as it turned out, theaters are opening up in force and there's a lot of movies on this list of things that we could have covered. We didn't get to these, but yeah, just just going to go through them one by one. There was Dream Horse, the Tony Collette movie. There was The Dry, an Australian drama with Eric Bana. There was New Order, Seance, Drunk Bus, Final Account, Blast Beats, Two Gods, Spring Blossom, uh, Pink, All I Know So Far, the Pink documentary on Amazon. There is no evil and Sound of Violence, and that's not even an exhaustive list, but I am exhausted just going through all of the things that that came out this week. A lot of these not getting great reviews, but I know you saw a few of them. I've seen one or two from the festival circuits, but yeah, any of these stick out? Well, I've seen, like you said, yeah, I saw New Order and Spring Blossom at Virtual TIFF, and then I saw Sound of Violence at South by Southwest. Um, well, you talked a little bit about Sound of Violence in our South by Southwest episode, so I don't really think I have anything new to add to that conversation. Bad movie. Hate it. I mean, I hate it. it I yeah, do. I wasn't crazy about it. I know you didn't finish it, so you're, um, but it doesn't really matter, I guess, because yeah. it's not like it gets better. Um, but yeah, Spring Blossom, I thought was pretty good. Like, it was a decent directorial debut. It's another type of film where I think it's more impressive knowing that the young filmmaker behind it is so young and did all these things. Like she was the lead actress, writer, director. I think she might have edited the film as well. She's a teenager, isn't she? It's like a teenage movie made by a teenager. That's the pitch. Pretty much. I think she's in her early 20s now, but I think when she made the film, she was like either 19. I think so. Or early 20s. Yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, 
kind of another situation where like I think the fact that she pulled it off is a little bit more impressive than the movie itself. But the movie itself is solid. I I think it's like a decent rental. It didn't really stick out to me of the films I saw at TIFF, but um, New Order is one that I've really wrestled with. I haven't seen it since, so I can't say my opinion has like changed over time, but it's one where when I saw it, I was kind of like, um, I don't know. I don't really know how I feel about this. Like, It's clearly very well made. It's well acted. Um, I, I, I do think it gets its point across, but there's such a inherent bleakness to it as far as just like what it's trying to communicate that I don't really know if there's much of a point behind it um, because it is so nihilistic and because it has such a bleak view of the world that I just found myself kind of wondering like what was the point of going through all that and I do feel like maybe a second viewing could change my opinion on that but coming off the festival was just one of those things where I was just like well, that was depressing. Anyway, let's see what our next movie is. So mm-hmm. I think that's a type of film that is not very conductive to a film festival showing because it's a type of film I didn't really have a lot of time to process and really like sit and wrestle with. But it does seem like a lot of people are really grooving with it. I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of very positive reactions. I'm not. I'm seeing a lot of negative reviews for it. I mean, I have seen some negative reviews, but since the movie's come out, I've definitely seen more positive reactions. I, I, I'm just going off of letterbox. Like, I'm going just off of people I follow. So admittedly, their reactions might be a little bit different than the people you uh, pal around with. Well, I'm just, I'm looking at reviews, not just letterbox. I'm just seeing, you know, like Rotten Tomatoes and everything like that. I'm seeing people giving this like D plus and like C minus and stuff. Sure. Well, I did see, uh, there was a trailer for it before Wrath of Man and your publication, Wars Watch, was proudly displayed saying it was the best film of last year. So somebody, I, hey, I don't speak for everybody at awards. I know. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that someone in your uh, your publication really did like this film. Hey, and all power too. I'm glad they did. Sure. Um, but I'm not quite sure. They didn't say who the writer was. I don't think. But um, I'm just saying, like, I, it's one of all the films I saw at TIFF. That was the one I was like, I th- I think I need to see that again just to kind of settle on my opinion, which is kind of an odd thing to say because that's. When I initially saw it, I was like, I really don't want to revisit that because <laughs> of how uh, depressing it is. But um, I don't know. In, in the weeks and months since, I've, I've kind of had mixed feelings in terms of whether or not it's effective at what it's trying to do. So I'll give that one a shrug. I'll say check out Spring Blossom, though it is fairly uncomfortable as well for different reasons. And you can skip Sound of Violence. All right. Well, the only one of these that I had a lot of interest in and that I, I probably will see is The Dry. I am kind of wanting to see that one. It's actually playing at our local art house theater. And I was going to mention, you know, they're, they're dropping all these indie films and they're actually playing Dream Horse and The Dry at the uh, local art house theater. It's open. And okay. I, I didn't go in. I, well, I, OK, so I went inside to pick up some popcorn for the crew because I'm going to watch Cruella. I uh, saw Cruella okay. twice, actually, which is, oh, really? you know, that's I didn't the, know that. That was my vibe this past week. Yeah, I, I purposely didn't tell you because I didn't want you to judge me. I needed time to, you know, build up to it, you know, process your reaction to that. But I did. I watched it two times and I had I had the movie theater popcorn with it. So, you know, the experience. But, well, I got to say, being back inside of a movie theater tonight will be my like for real return to. to oh, yeah, that's right. Maybe. Yeah. In San yeah. Francisco, checking out. A Quiet Place Part Two. We're recording this on a Monday, and I'm uh, gearing up. I'm I'm ready. I'm the movies are back. I'm happy for you. Yeah, I was gonna say when we start talking about Army of the Dead, that was my first movie back in the theaters more officially. 
So um, that might influence my opinion of said film. That explains why you gave it an A minus. I was kind of confused about that, but we'll get to that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I don't know what you gave it. Yeah. I have heard that uh, There Is No Evil is really good, but I have not seen that film, and I don't think it's playing near me. I know Dream Horse and uh, New Order and Final Count are playing at the AMC near me, which is really weird for New Order and Final Account, but I guess they do tend to play some independent films, so I guess that makes sense. Yeah, independent films like Fast and Furious 9. Uh, of course. We, of course, know, yeah, Vin Diesel. Well, they weren't going to play Fast 9 for a little bit. Remember that from last yeah, year? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, when they were like, and yeah. the exclusivity window, all that drama, but a lot's changed yeah. in the last year, and yeah, yeah, there you go. I think they also said the same thing about Disney films at one point, too, because they were doing the whole like Mulan uh, premium thing, and they were like, no Disney movies either, and everyone was like, "Dope, you're not gonna play Disney movies." <laughs> and then there you yeah. go. Yeah, yeah, you're not gonna play like the. I think in 2019, Disney accounted for like seven of the top ten right. worldwide grossing movies. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, you know, we we talked about this briefly last week. It, I do get the sense that the film industry is really trying to dump a lot of indies on us. The week before Cruella and A Quiet Place Part Two, kind of kick off the the movie summer movie season in a way that we, we of course didn't really get at all last year the only movies that came out in the summer last year were like tenet and mulan and uh or i did i don't even think mulan was in that many theaters if i if I'm or any theaters because i believe oh, they maybe, just put yeah. that on disney plus there was like some movies that that bridge the gap like bill and ted i think was in some theaters but it was primarily on vod well, I wonder. I wonder if Mulan played internationally, though. I wonder if I'm thinking that, but I think you're right because it did underperform in China, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's the case, and I think here in the yeah. states, yeah, uh, Premier Access was like the only way you could see that. Same for other right. Disney movies like Soul, and yeah, yeah. But hey, that looks like it's about to change. I'm still very disappointed. You know, we're not doing a summer movie preview. Uh, it's I don't think, and I'm a little I'm a little bummed about some of Disney's offerings in the summer. We are getting things like Black Widow, sure, but the the fact that Luca is not going to be playing in a theater, you know, shame on you, Disney. I mean, what? In the, yeah, one of one of the worst decision, creative, and you know, branding decisions I think we've seen from Disney in a long, long time. So very sorry about that. Yeah, I'm mildly pulling hope that they will reverse that decision and put it in theaters again. But Same here. I don't know. Seems like it's too late, though. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, it, I think it's going to depend on Corella and how it does on VOD versus theaters. I think they're just, they, they don't have enough time <laughs> to, like, roll out a marketing campaign and uh, distribution for a whole theatrical I mean, if it, if it if they did put it in some theaters, that's one thing. But a wide release that that takes a lot of time to set up. I don't know, cause like the Army of the Dead theatrical release was kind of sprung very quickly, and it didn't like have a lot of build up there. Just like, oh, this is also in theaters. So that was like select theaters. I mean, it was in, sure. We're not talking about like a Disney movie can get up to like four thousand screens. I mean, it's yeah. one thing to release something in like five hundred or fewer. Because yeah, you, you can you can set something up like that, but like man, when it comes to a wide release, that is like those are marketing budgets. The those are local, you know, municipalities. I mean, there's just so much that goes into it. I think that they made the decision, and I I I would like to see it reverse. I hope I'm wrong, but I mean, 
it's not like they aren't marketing the movie though, so like people would know it's coming out. There's, there's a difference. But I do though, get what you mean. Like, yeah, yeah marketing. Like, yeah, you know, because of like working in theaters and stuff. Like marketing sure. in a, a local, you know, township to like go right. to a movie theater to see something is a totally different thing. Especially if you've put in a ton of marketing money into the Disney Plus part of it, because then it's like, oh, we shouldn't waste money on a marketing budget for yeah. the theatrical release because then you know people will. Yeah, it, it's just a whole mess. Um, yeah. That's why I find the marketing for Quiet Place Part 2 so fascinating now is because they basically blew the marketing budget for the previous release. And now they're trying to also remind people that's coming out, but they don't want to spend that much money. So like every trailer is just like, oh, hey, Quiet Place come out. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, a very quiet uh, right. marketing campaign, if, sure. if you will. Yeah. Like they don't want to wake something up, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I guess so. I mean, there's how many movies do we have on this list? Like, there is no evil, sound of violence, you know, just blast beats. I mean, we're just getting like revved up for Quiet Place Part 2. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Nothing gets me more pumped than Dream Horse and Drunk Bus. I'm like, yeah, yeah, Emily Blunt. It's things are so depressing. Even the buses are getting drunk. <laughs> I don't even know what that movie's about. I like to think it's like a cartoon movie about a bus that gets drunk. Um, but I'm I, think, I think you'll be disappointed. Plot. Yeah, yeah. Don't look into it. Just keep your hope alive. <laughs> oh man! But all right, that's enough chatting around. It's time for us to get into some movies we saw and we have some thoughts on. Of course, first movie of the week: Army of the Dead. As we mentioned, now we could have talked about this last week. It, as we kind of mentioned earlier, it did release in select theaters on May 14th. But it's now available. Everybody who has a Netflix account can see it as of Friday, May 21st. And I think there was some excitement about this one. I know I know a bunch of people who were seeing some of the word of mouth. They were seeing some of the good reviews for Army of the Dead. And uh, it seems like it did pretty decent numbers from what I can tell. It was trending in Netflix's top 10. Plenty of people have been talking about it. And I, think that's, I think that's because it is an easy sell. So this one was directed and produced by Zack Snyder, co-produced by Deborah Snyder and Wesley Collar. He wrote the movie, Zack did, with Shay Hatton and Joby Harold. And this is Zack Snyder's story. And this is, uh, you know, because he did, of course, Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead was his first film, a remake, the George Romero film. Really his own spin on it. And really one of those remakes that kind of like modernized a lot of what we understand as zombies today. You know, if you have, if you look at things like Walking Dead, Zombieland, and a lot of these like modern zombie movies, they do owe a decent amount to Zack Snyder kind of setting a tone for the zombie apocalypse at the turn of this past century. More than 28 days later? I think they kind of go together, don't they? Because sure. they're around I the same so. time. I'll admit that uh, his Dawn of the Dead is the only Zack Snyder film I haven't seen. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely, <laughs> I definitely have some mixed feelings of that first movie and uh, that Dawn of the Dead, and I, I love the original, and I think I think that is a very different movie from this one, Army of the Dead, because this has nothing to do with Dawn of the Dead. It's not a sequel or anything like that. It is just a different new kind of zombie movie that he sort of built from the ground up has its own rules has its own mythology and world building and probably the biggest difference between the two movies is that army of the dead is a zombie heist movie and they really really play that up so the story here is that all of the zombie apocalypse stuff it all happens in just 
the beginning of the movie, the prologue, the intro over the credits. We get like the kind of basic like, okay, how did the zombie stuff start and how did yeah. how did things sort of proceed? And we, very cheeky. Yeah, it is very cheeky. They play, you know, Viva Las Vegas over the yeah, the, Richard Cheese. Yeah, it's just, it's just like an escape from a zombified Las Vegas. Somehow they've contained the zombie outbreak in Vegas, probably because it's a desert. And we spend most of this movie in the aftermath of all that, you know, action and violence and chaos. And years have gone by, and the people who escaped Las Vegas are actually quarantine now because the government and the public are like, well, maybe you could turn into zombies eventually or something. I will say the the quarantining and how all that stuff worked, I think was extremely poorly explained because I was like, wait, are some people quarantined and some aren't? Why are these people in this camp? It looks like they can just go wherever. I didn't fully understand or, or get a lot of that, but whatever, that's the setup. So this movie kind of it was in it was in a lot for a long time in uh, development hell. Warner's Brothers was looking at making it as far back as I think it's like 2007, and they didn't they didn't bring Snyder on until way later in the process. But I think, like I said before, I think that this premise is one that like gets people like, yes, I will watch a zombie heist where basically this group of mercenaries, one of them, yeah, the one who's kind of the leader of the group is played by Dave Bautista, of course, Guardians of the Galaxy, Blade Runner 2049. He kind of leads this group to go back into Vegas where the zombies really own the place and try to steal hundreds of millions of dollars in a safe in this like casino hotel. So it's a heist, but you know, they have to recruit somebody who can get into the safe. They need a helicopter person. They need somebody who can like navigate and they understand all of the rules and they can do all the exposition. They have like an enforcer of the person who hired them played by Garrett Delahunt, who they can't really trust. Yeah. It's, it's that kind of movie. It's, it's very, what you see, what you get. I think for me, this movie is really solid all the way up until like the last 40 minutes. And then I started to really check out. And I think my big issue is this thing's unbelievably too long. I do not understand how it is 148 minutes they could have cut so much and yeah it's just excess to uh i think frustrating degree because they had something interesting here but ultimately i think this is this one's just really messy but what did you think will yeah i mean i guess it shouldn't be too surprising that i was a little bit more sympathetic to a snyder film um i know you were pretty kind on the snyder cut but i know in uh, the past we've kind of sparred a little bit in terms of whether or not Snyder is a worthwhile filmmaker. Um, I think there's a lot of things that are worth criticizing about his filmmaking. I, I don't think he is without fault necessarily, but I tend to admire his gruff, I guess. Like, I guess I, I appreciate that he has, as we said, a fairly irreverent uh, sense of uh, tone throughout his films. Like, he, he does try to kind of go for these lofty ideas, and more often than not, he doesn't really excel, but I guess that's what I kind of found admirable about this film is that he's not really trying to make a grand statement, or at least not in the same way that he tries to make grand statements in the uh, DCEU movies, where he's kind of talking more about uh, mythology and the place of God among men and things like that, or even to some extent in the Watchmen movies as well. Uh, I think this movie is a lot more uh, grounded in terms of just being, as you were kind of mentioning, like basically like 30 dozen with zombies running around, which 
I think Chen tends to work because even though the characters themselves are fairly archetypes, I, I tend to think that the cast here is pretty well. Like, I think he picked a good cast for the ensemble. I actually really did enjoy uh, Dave Bautista in the lead role, and it was nice to see him in a lead role. We're so used to seeing him in supporting turns that I thought it was actually pretty nice to see him kind of carry a film. And, and I thought he did a nice job in terms of uh, having a grounded sense of morality, but also, you know, kind of playing up the heightened absurdity of what is going on around him. And I don't necessarily think that the movie itself is adding too much in terms of like new ideas to zombie lore, mythology, or anything like that. But I actually do think this film is a lot sweeter than people are giving it credit. And I actually find it to be a pretty worthwhile watch uh, at the movie theater, which I guess is not the way that people are going to be seeing the film since now it's on Netflix. But as I mentioned at the top of the show, this is the first movie I saw back in theaters. Uh, and I'm sure that colored my opinion to some extent, but I didn't really mind the length. I mean, I know people are complaining about it and I'm not saying they're wrong because I mean, I think the premise itself would warrant a two hour runtime, but I never really found myself bored or checked out during any of it. If anything, I was kind of surprised that it ended in a non-conclusive fashion because I was willing to keep watching it. Ah, oh, man, I, I was really frustrated by the end. And I think a lot of it was because there is this tag along character that they sort of add to the story. And it's, it's, she, she plays the, uh, the daughter of Dave Patista's character, Ella Purnell. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I really tried to, I, I think that is like the key to whether or not this movie will work for people. Because on the one Absolutely. hand, I think that, I think that Snyder is like making this movie in part to work through some stuff. You know, he yeah, of course went through it's it's hard to separate, you know, if you're aware of the the tragedy, you know, of losing his daughter. And, you know, I'm sympathetic, you know, to to making a movie and like processing your grief through art. And I see a lot of that in this movie. And I was very like like that's kind of what I'm saying, like all the way up until like the last 40 minutes, I think this movie is building a lot of goodwill. And I was thinking, man, you know, th this is such a, this is a cool way to sort of like process that, you know, to sort of like write and make this story and, and create it, you know, with your wife as a co-producer, she tends to be. And I, I think having like an emotional tone that is kind of interesting, they they just they do something with this character that I think is really infuriating and tropey and kind of I think cheats the movie. Maybe the difference for me too is that like I wasn't as immersed in it because I'm not in the theater and I'm I'm watching it at home and I just I just wanted it to end because like I felt like it just kept squashing this you know the good like I said before like the goodwill that had been stored up it was just like slowly dissipating and I was like I have really lost interest at this point please wrap this up there are things that I, I do want to you know point out like Raul Castillo I, I really liked in this I think Tignataro oh, yeah. who is replacing Chris Delia they did that very seamlessly they they did a bunch of like reshoots I I barely noticed um I I thought she was very good and I'm sure she was better than whatever Christiella was, but I thought whenever it was like her by herself, it was fine. But whenever they had to incorporate her into a group shot, it was really noticeable to me. Maybe on the big screen, but yeah, on a smaller yeah, screen, know. it it for me it didn't really stick out. But I don't know. It was definitely kind of copy and paste when I like whenever it was a group shot. But I do agree with you. Like whenever it's individual shots, I didn't really notice or think about it. And I th I think it was uh, for the best for sure. Uh, so Christiella, of course accused of sexual misconduct back in 2020. So they 
they replaced him. They were going to replace him with Christopher Plummer, but unfortunately, Christopher Plummer passed away. Well, you're joking. I mean, some people may not actually know that that's a joke. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was like the last time I think I'll, I'll probably ever be able to make that joke. But yes. Yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, but no, I thought she was. Uh, I thought she was great, and I mean, I, I really enjoyed her performance. I thought it was very funny. I just, I just noticed at times that she was incorporated into the film. Yeah, and then, you know, there's some other supporting turns in this that I think yeah, they're solid. You know, Ana de la Guerra's in this, and Tio Rossi, and it, you know, it's a good crew. And there's good action in here. There's a scene in particular, kind of like in the midpoint of the film, where somebody who I hadn't, you know, like they had barely even like named her, but she's played by Huma Salim Qureshi. She has like this whole sequence where she is just like kicking butt all the way through like a hotel on her own. And I'm like, yes, this is what I'm here for. I I, I definitely was vibing yeah, cool. with the zombie action in a lot of parts. But Will, please, how did you deal with just the incessant talking? <laughs> This movie has so many overlong conversations and I'm like, why can't you just cut some of this stuff out? It's not that important. The characterization isn't very meaningful. We know that a lot of these people aren't going to make it. So why? <laughs> like this movie could have been so much tighter. Uh, I don't know. I didn't really think much about the conversations of it. So I guess that's you more were drunk of a on popcorn. <laughs> I didn't have any popcorn during it. I'll, I'll admit. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, because I'm still afraid to take off my mask. I'll admit in the theater. Like I'm, I'm comfortable being in the theater, but taking it off is where I feel that's the only barrier I haven't really crossed so far. But um, yeah, I don't know. I didn't. I don't. I honestly didn't mind the conversation. If anything, I felt like that was kind of like the point that we were seeing. Like we're finding out their humanity in the midst of this land of zombies. The only thing that didn't that kind of bugged me was that they kept introducing kind of like minute ideas that seemed like they were going to build up to things and never really did. Like at one point, I remember they were like watch out for the zombies when it rains they can come back to life and i was like oh i thought that was going to come back right yeah. like at the end but they were just using that as a reason of like we can't go back this way sure which i get i mean i get that that was kind of just like a throwaway line but it does sound like something that's like supposed to be foreshadowing and maybe it for was sure. at one point and they they didn't but that's the kind of stuff that bugged me also i wasn't totally crazy about the like shallow focus cinematography style at the beginning of the film at least yeah, it was it took a little getting used to. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't quite. Yeah, I agree with you there. Because I guess we didn't mention that uh, Zack Snyder was his own DP for this film, um, which I'll, I was going to mention a little bit later for a different reason. But yeah, get ready for slow-mo. There's a lot of it. But basically, yeah. So like, if you saw the last epilogue scene, well, I guess the second to last scene in uh, the Snyder cut, and it was like them on the road and it was like everything's like super hazy and like you know like it looks like they're like in a sandstorm the whole time it's like kind of like that for like a whole movie <laughs> uh which definitely on the big screen took a little bit of getting used to i'm not 100 percent sure why he incorporated that style i don't know if he just likes that based on how he included into two films but um yeah i mean that was that was something that did take a little bit of getting used to but yeah not necessarily that's like incompetent in terms of the cinematography i think it, at best he's just sort of like adequate as a cinematographer but the style of it is just an odd choice, I'll admit. I mean, the campy style kind of works if it's a campy movie, for sure. But I have to say, yeah, there were parts of this movie that were so blurry that I, I was like, man, this this definitely feels like a, a notch below a lot of the effects in the Snyder Cut, for example. I, I think, sure. yeah, it, just, it didn't quite have the same 
pop and elegance that makes that movie so operatic. This one doesn't have to go that far. It doesn't have to reach that high, which is kind of nice. It's kind of nice to see Snyder sort of like relaxing a little bit into a movie with arguably lower stakes. It's a movie that like, I don't think it has that much to say and it's not trying to say all that much. It's kind of just walking through the typical beats and you know there is something kind of interesting about like a group of people who you you see how like economics and like the the oppression of like class warfare is so prevalent in the world that like even surviving a zombie apocalypse you know, the, there's no way that you can sort of like pull yourself out of the aftermath. I, I think that was the probably the most interesting thing about this. That does also feel very Romero-esque, which I appreciated. Yeah, I mean, it has glimpses of it, I would say. Sure. But I think that like whenever those opportunities to go even further on some of that material started to percolate, I just think the movie then would like settle back into like all of the melodrama, which I didn't like as much, you know, the like, this is remember when this happened and like all of these like dynamics between us characters. And it started to like dive into some of that stuff, which I I personally just didn't care about as much. So I I thought that speaks a little bit more to, I think like the messiness of this movie. And I'm glad that it it tried to do something like that because I, I don't mind when movies that are this over the top and movies that have like, just a different set of expectations for the audience of like, yes, I'm going to come in here. I'm going to watch zombies and gore and really fun, interesting and creative. Like this, this is almost like a video game kind of zombie movie. It, to me, it felt very like left for dead, that kind of thing. I think all of that is working pretty well and adding like this extra layer of storytelling on top of it is cool too. I just think that like, it just, it just needed a little bit of better editing and it's a little bit of a, a, a tighter focus uh, in a lot of departments because I, I think that this this ends up being pretty bloated by my estimation. So yeah, I'm I'm a C plus on Army of the Dead. I think people who are into the premise and they know that they want to see this. I mean, yes, get into it. You know, it's absurd. It is very very full of itself, and it, at parts it takes itself. Sometimes it takes itself super seriously. Sometimes it doesn't, almost to a charming degree in some ways. But yeah. Regardless, I think that it has some interesting stuff for fans of the genre and the fact that it's on Netflix makes it pretty accessible. So C plus for me. Um, yeah, I'm definitely certainly kinder on this film. Um, I don't know. I didn't really mind the melodrama aspects you're talking about because that's just what Snyder's brand is at this point. Like, I don't know. It just feels weird to even complain about that to me because it's just like that's part of the course for what you get with his movies. At this point, like, you know, you don't have to like it necessarily, but that's just what his style is. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm surprised. I'm just saying, sure. you know, if you do it every movie, why aren't you getting better at it? Yeah, I think he's fine. I, I'm not necessarily combating you. I'm talking more like just when I hear other people complain about similar things. They're just like, I didn't like that this was a Snyder movie. It's just like, well, I don't know what to tell you, bud. <laughs> he made his movie. Um I, I, I can see why people are bothered by the length. Um, if anything, I felt this was one of his tighter movies, maybe because we're coming off of his four-hour saga with the Snyder Cut. But, um, I mean, I thought even, like, tonally, it was pretty... It was more consistent than his other recent films, uh, probably leading up to uh, Man of Steel, just in terms of, like, communicating what he wants to say. Like, I do agree with you that I don't think he's really trying to make something truly like 
fully operatic like he was with the uh, DC movies. I think this is his way of just kind of going back and doing something closer to his roots, something that's like a little bit, it has a grand scale, obviously, but it's, it's going for something a little bit more concrete, just something that does rely on him having fun in the desert and just palling around with some people he likes and with some fun, overblown characters. And um, I can certainly respect that. And I think ultimately this this is a fun, entertaining blockbuster. But I do agree with you, at least what you're applying, that like I think there is something a little bit deeper going on here. I, I do think that his relationship... Uh, his personal life, I mean, and the relationship between uh, our lead character and the daughter isn't it coincidental, and I do think that does result in I, what I think is actually a pretty touching finale. I mean, I, I wasn't really expecting the ending to be as emotional as it was. And I think what surprised me is that Snyder, even in a film like this, is willing to be so sincere and have a moment like that that is kind of overdrawn and like you know is kind of almost verging on melodrama, but it does feel like it's from the heart. And and now I just I think that that works his style, and and I found it to be a pretty effective ending. And I think that's the key to why I ultimately because I was like about B minus throughout most of the movie. Just because like you're saying, it's fun, but it's not really substantial or anything like that. But when it got to the end, and I did kind of see more of what the emotional purpose of the film was i found myself willing to bump it up to a low b like i said i don't think it's as a masterpiece or anything great i don't even think i think even by steiner standards this is fairly subpar but i like steiner and i found it to be a pretty fun return to the movies all right well critics are being pretty nice to this one it's doing pretty decently on uh... Rotten Tomatoes. It has a 70% RT score out of 189 reviews. That's an average rating of 6.1 out of 10. So it's it's weird because like 70%, you know, people would be like, that's like a B, but you know, sure. not it's not how Rotten Tomatoes works. But yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it just seems like people are you know kind of mixed on it, but like mixed skewing to positive. So there you go. That's just what I figured the response was going to be which is fine. Um, I will say, I forgot to mention this. Not only did I see this in theaters, but I saw this in the uh, Monroeville Mall, which, as people may know, is where Dawn of the Dead, the original Dawn of the Dead, was filmed. So I thought that was also a fun way to kind of add to the... Yeah, fun treat for you. Yeah, for the return to the (laughs) film experience. I got to tour the mall, but I've been there a couple times, but it's been a while, so it was fun. I I sent John, there's a a monument for George A. Romero in the mall and stuff, so... It, they, they don't definitely hide it at all. There's actually a zombie museum in there as well, but unfortunately it was locked up uh, until the summer, so I didn't get a chance to see that. Well, we'll see if there is an outbreak in that mall yet again. Uh, there's going to be a bunch of uh, future stuff for the Army of the Dead franchise, I guess. Uh, there's going to be a prequel that they've already wrapped up filming. It's called Army of Thieves. And it's funny, it's it's actually directed by Matthias Schwigwofer, who's who plays Dieter, the German safecracker in Army of the Dead. And the prequel kind of focuses on what he was up to uh, before the movie Army of the Dead oh. happens. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know when that's coming out, but they already finished filming it like last year. So they, okay. they clearly have some plans for this uh, franchise. Is that a movie or a show? It's a prequel. It's a movie. All right. And it's, cool. it's directed by, uh, yeah, yeah the, the guy. But um, yeah, and then there is going to be a show as well. There's uh, an anime sort of show called yeah. Army of the Dead Lost Vegas. Uh, that's what I remember hearing about. Yeah, that's happening I, too. Yeah. Um, so that's going to that's gonna be about some of the characters from Army of the Dead will show up in that. But it's going to be about like 
what happened during the zombie outbreak that we see in like the first part of army of the dead like the first like 10 minutes so some inter- some interesting stuff they're kind of you know putting a lot of a lot of prequel energy into this franchise we'll see if it works out but if you want to check it out it is now on netflix army of the dead is 148 minutes long Let's get into our next film, Writers of Justice. Writers is a R-I-D-E-R-S, not writers, like not like Will and I, because we're writers. You know, we we certainly don't have any justice to offer. But no, these are writers of justice. This is a Danish action war black comedy slash drama. That that's how the studio is describing it. So a lot of words there. It was yeah. directed and written by Anders Thomas Jensen. It actually came out in Denmark uh, last November, so it's just now getting an international release. You can see it right now. I think it's in some theaters. It's on VOD, and it's it's. I think it, it like had a first wave last week, and then now it's expanding mm-hmm. this week, so it's a little bit more accessible. But yeah, this this one. Are you familiar with the work of Anders Thomas Jensen? Uh, did he do the Chicken movie with Mads Mikkelsen a couple years ago? The Chicken movie. Uh, like men and chicken the 2015 yeah, was that him I, I actually didn't know that was him i think i'm not 100 percent sure but i'm pretty sure right. it's... that was like a tiff film if i recall yeah that, that wasn't a um a, a big hit at least in the u.s but um i do remember it got some festival love yeah yeah i know he, he's worked uh as a scriptwriter in a lot of cases he was one of the co-writers for the dark tower which we reviewed back in 2017. Uh, and I, th- I don't think he's directed a lot of films. I think he's uh, directed films kind of sporadically throughout his career. Uh, he's been working for a few decades now. But yeah, yeah, people people could uh, definitely find some some good movies in his filmography. Well, he did uh, at, After the Wedding, which was like, it's not like an Oscar winning yeah. uh, film that, that got a remake with Michelle Williams and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a writer for that. Um yeah, because with a, he and because he and Mads Mikkelsen, they just they have they clearly have like a back and forth, but um, yeah. So this new movie, Writers of Justice, it is kind of an unconventional film. I didn't watch the trailer for this. I, I didn't know what it was about. I didn't know what I was in for, and it's there's a lot going on in this. I I actually not sure how to set this up or to to describe the the plot do you, do you want me to try do you have a, a way in with this since you are pretty fresh so yeah basically we got uh mad mickelson who is playing this detached dysfunctional father who is uh some sort of like army soldier general type guy the movie doesn't really tell us it's just like he's yeah. dangerous and yeah sure. don't mess with him he has war experience. That's basically all you really need to know. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, because he works so much and because he is uh, has this type of background, he doesn't really have an emotional side and he doesn't really fully connect to his, uh, his wife or his daughter. And there is a turn of events where uh, they need to take the subway, which is uh, another kind of correspondence with another character that we'll meet, and something very horrific and tragic happens and it spirals this sort of like uh odd family dynamic that that sparks uh this desire to seek revenge on who they believe was the perpetrators of this incident yeah and uh that's kind of 
what the general plot of the movie is. Yeah, there's there's a lot of conversation in this movie because like it, it seems like even people who have no direct connection to the tragedy itself, they they kind of see that it happened and are like they're trying to work out like the science of probability. And the idea that there could be like centillion reasons for why something has happened and they're trying to make sense of it. Uh, there's actually kind of this like really dense storytelling of trying to reckon with the grief and with tragedy. Yes. Which, uh, yeah, a very Danish thing to incorporate in this film, I'll have to admit. <laughs> I, I think so. I think so for yeah. sure. It, this movie very much is about like kind of older, gruff men who kind of find comfort in sort of like this friend, like familial dynamic between friends. It's it, it's very, it's very like disarmingly sweet, you know. But at the same time, it is also a revenge action movie. There's right. action. There's gunplay. There's this whole thing where these biker, the biker gang, is out to get these guys because they start doing some things that get on their radar. And to them, they just sort of see this as like a massive coincidence. But that's kind of what the movie is about. It's about like, are things really accidents? Are there really coincidences at all? Or are there some things that are orchestrated? And what? how can we deal with that if that's the case? And a lot of this movie focuses on the dynamic between Mads Mikkelsen's character uh, and not just these gentlemen, but also his daughter, who just sort of sees him as this cold and violent person. And she's struggling because she doesn't want to turn out like him. She's played by Andrea Heck Galderberg. And I got to say, I just, I really dug this movie. I thought that it was so refreshing and it was such a kind of a cool idea. It's just like a different kind of movie that you aren't expecting. It's also a Christmas movie. <laughs> like A little bit, yeah. I mean, it, it, it book, it's bookended by like, Christmas celebrations and, and and it is a cold movie that's kind of happening with Christmas in the background. So I say it's a Christmas movie, but yeah, sure. I really dug this one. Uh, yeah. I mean, when I was told about the film, I was kind of under the impression that it was like another John Wick kind of thing. Like this is Mad Mickelson's John Wick, which is like, cool. You know, I mean, I love vigilante movies. We talked about nobody a few months back, uh, had fun with that. Um, yeah, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm down with that. And then when the reviews, uh, came out, at least, uh, stateside, it's like, oh no, it's more, kind of more of like a dark comedy, almost like a Cohen-esque kind of thing. And I was like, oh, even better. Like, hell yeah, why not? <laughs> and then when I saw the film, I realized it's not really either of those things. It's its I own guess kind thing. Of more th right. But I can kind of see why people were making those comparisons. Like you said, like there is like that kind of sense of like, are we just kind of like pogs in a system? Is there like a kind of like cruel uh, uh, reasoning for why things play out the way they do? Or do we just kind of like find ourselves in this like cycle of total chaos where just things just kind of happen haphazardly, which are sort of ideas that kind of play into Coen Brothers movies, especially with like such sharp and like present violence as they do uh, here. I guess people are kind of going for like a Fargo thing, but uh, or even, I guess, kind of more of a No Country for Old Men kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, I was going to mention that one probably more directly. Yeah, but um, I think, like you said, yeah, it's kind of more of its own thing. Because, like we said, it's such a Danish-type film to, like, have characters, like you said, like these, like, sad sack middle-aged guys just, like, spend, like, at least 40 minutes to an hour just kind of, like, try and discuss why they can't talk about their feelings. 
<laughs> which uh, there is something kind of funny about it. And it's also like there's it's something like outrageous in this movie. Not like at least in terms like comically, because like every single funny beat has like this tinge of like deep sadness to it. Yeah. And like this, like yeah, this kind of sense of like even when things are like funny, it's like also not really funny because like the characters are in pain and like they're like trying to process their grief. But there is like this kind of like weird sense of like rhythm as far as like how the world works and how things kind of play uh, purposely, but also sort of like unpurposely. Uh, it's, it is a very interesting film in that respect. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's hard to compare this to something like John Wick and nobody just because like it it starts to like paint itself as like oh it could go down that road but then it it brings up the fact that no it's an ensemble it's it's about all of these guys and it's all it's more about like them kind of coming together under the guise of a revenge thriller because i think it it has some of the emotion of something like you were never really here which that movie was meditating on the impact of what violence does to us. And I think that this movie is kind of doing something similar, but in a different genre or with like a different sort of plot setup. We've seen a lot of times yeah. where like you were never really here was sort of like the typical, the taxi driver, the, the vigilante anti-hero, and sort of bringing that deeper sensibility, that deeper conversation on, you know, why do we right. get so much enjoyment and thrill out of these types of movies? This movie's kind of doing that, but for like a Danish dark comedy. <laughs> so like, right. I think that's why I think I, it really works for me because I'm all about that. Like, I'll, I'll take that any day. I think that a lot of movies try to go for the Coen Brothers thing, and this is not a direct one-to-one, as you said. And I think that's why it ends up being, I think, better than just a remix of those kinds of movies so sure yeah i i really i i I have such a heart for this movie i i i'm sad that a lot of people won't see it because they're like ah danish movies subtitles no thanks and then yeah that means we're probably going to get an american remake that butchers the whole thing yeah i was trying to think like would it just be mad mickelson again if they did a american remake but i'd rather just not just don't do it do a remake because <laughs> yeah. the american version is going to be inevitably worse uh with that said i'll probably see whatever the american version of another round is i guess yeah and then that's <laughs> and that's only to say the only reason i think it would be worse is because this movie is so danish like it doesn't really right. quite work well so if is you try to another make it round in- sure sure oh, i mean i haven't yeah. seen that movie but that's what i've heard so i i understand kind of like it's possible to do remakes and to make them work, but I, I don't know. I think this movie from beginning to end, the vision behind it, the sort of point of it, all of that is very specific. So I think like if you were going to do an American version, I think you would have to really rewrite it with understanding American gun culture and like the way that like we process these things is so different. It would, a movie would really have to reckon with that. And I think it would just end up being a different movie altogether. Yeah. I mean, especially when you compare it to you were never really here. Like that's a film that's intentionally trying to be subversive of the vigilante genre and like really break it down to its core components and be like, like, so why do we really like get drawn in and key to these type of characters and these type of violent personalities? This film, I think follows the template of a vigilante movie a little bit more strictly, but like you said, it does flesh out the characters and the thematics of it to the point where it is like it's kind of reckoning with it a little bit more directly and having more time to just have characters really suss out like what exactly 
they're trying to find in life and how they can really make sense of these terrible tragedies and stuff, which is not the most appealing way to sell a film, I will admit. <laughs> As we're discussing, I don't know if, if we're really selling the movie uh, the way we should, but I mean, I will say, like, even like we said, like, even though it is a fairly dark and depressing movie it is pretty frequently funny yeah as well and and i think the action generally speaking even though it is a little far in between at times it is generally pretty good like i, I think it's well executed better than i guess i anticipated going into this so i think generally yeah all around it it does work yeah yeah you know i i, I did think it was a bit downbeat but i i felt like the de- the the, pre- the most depressing aspects of it were i think I didn't think that it was like a super persistent thing. Like I didn't, I didn't feel depressed the entire time watching this. I, I don't know. Like I, I felt like there was always like this kind of lightness to what was going on and it would get broken up by more serious moments. And sure. maybe I'd have to rewatch because I think it just sort of depends on like your, your mindset going in maybe. But I'm just, I'm just saying that to the sense of like, I don't know if this would be like a comfort watch for people. Sure. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think I think the movie's smart about how it balances the characters, and I think it's a pretty well layered script in terms of like realizing when they need to focus on Mad Mickelson's character, like his brooding and his kind of like tough willed lived existence, and when they have to kind of focus on the like smaller, more optimistic characters, and you know the other characters who have their own kind of individual quirks, but they also have their own personal baggage and trauma. And I think, generally speaking, it's a pretty well-layered script in terms of, like, trying to find those individual moments in, in, in a way that doesn't make it oppressively bleak but never also makes it, like, fully lighthearted. I guess I guess what we're trying to say is, like, we didn't, we didn't use this word, but I think if you're not familiar with the Danish sense of humor, it is very dry. And so that's why, like, it can kind of mix... I thought you were going to say uh, Sachsenfreud. No, <laughs> which I was like, I don't know if that really fits. But yeah, yeah, no, I'm saying just like I think the dryness of the humor can actually be so close to the line of something that's so sad. So I think that's why it connects and it works pretty well. So that like the entire movie, it doesn't it doesn't feel jarring or anything. Like you're not bouncing between tones. It always feels like it has just like this constant tone. Because like. Even because you mentioned the other characters kind of light and optimistic, but I mean, even Mads Mikkelsen in this, he's still kind of quirky. Like he has his own sort of like upbeatness to him, or not even upbeat. That's a terrible word for it. But it's just like he has his own personality that isn't just constantly brooding. That's only part of it. He has a worldview. I think I don't know if it. I mean, his personality is is kind of clipped and and like fairly like he he has like a very like kind of direct way of thinking. Like, he's not as smart as the other characters, but he does have... There's, like, a logic to the way he thinks. Sure. And how, like, he, like... He's able to, like, not overthink things. Like, he's in a situation where, like, like this is what the world is. This is what we need to do. If things go bad, you have to do this and then get out. And it's, like, that works because the other characters are, like, direct opposites. But I do agree. I, I guess quirky... I don't know if that's a word I would use, but I can see what you mean by it. But, um, yeah, I can see what you mean. Sure. I, I think that's... If I do see this movie again, it's going to be at Christmas. And if you are curious, like, oh, John's vaccinated now. What is it like, you know, John hanging out with friends? It's it's basically all of the scenes in this movie between the friends. Like, that's that's kind of how it's going to be for me for the next couple of months, I think. But, you yeah, know, I, I thought this was a very sweet, wonderful little movie. I, I kind of was like B, B plus on it 
when I first saw it, but like the more time I've had to process it and write things down about it, the more I'm like, yeah, you know, this, this, for me, this is a low B plus. I think that it really delivers and I'm really glad it exists. I think that it's, it's a heck of a movie. And if you have the time and wherewithal, I think that you should for sure check it out because I think it's going to surprise a lot of people who do stumble upon it, even though, yeah, it's not getting the biggest release in the world. I think it's, it's a, it's a real delight of a movie. So B plus for me. Yeah, I mean, uh, similar to you, I guess, in that um, it, it kind of took me a minute to really sit with the movie and figure out what exactly it was doing. Um, because the beginning of the film, it, it does, it, it has like an odd way of opening up. And it kind of takes you a minute to be like, okay, like, how is this really connecting to anything we're doing here? <laughs> um, but as the movie went along and I kind of figured out its rhythm and what it's trying to do, it did it did endear me. And I, I do think that's also... Um, the, the script, like I said, and then the direction, but also just the cast here. I mean, obviously, Matt Mickelson's great because he's always great, but um, everyone else around him, is, I also think, is very good. I'm not as familiar with them, so I don't know their names, but um, I think everyone here is pretty well cast, and they fit the part pretty well. Even when I was like worried that characters are going to be a bit stock, I think they, they find a way to flesh them out in pretty organic and lighthearted and uh, endearing ways. And, uh, yeah, it all, it all results in a pretty... Uh, oddly warm and sweet film, considering the uh, the the heavy thematics and the just general stark violence of the film. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it does result in a in a pretty worthwhile watch. Though I will say, if you watch the film, do not rent it on YouTube because they only offer the dub version. And I tried to find the subtitles on it; they didn't have it, which really made me mad. So, if you're gonna watch a movie, don't watch it on YouTube. All right. Well, that is Writers of Justice. It has a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes out of 66 reviews, average rating of 7.9 out of 10. I think that, yeah, critics critics are certainly saying it's worth a watch. It's getting some good reviews here. Well, and that doesn't surprise me. Sure, sure. It's a very critic it's a very friendly critic. movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's going to satisfy a lot of critics who want to see something kind of different. It definitely scratches that itch. And so, you know, a lot of people are going to give it a pass because, like, it is trying something different and doing a good job at right. it. So it's worth, you know, giving the positive. I mean, grade. if you see the poster and it's like, oh, this is John Wick with mm. Mad Mickelson, and you realize it's something a little bit more heavy and thoughtful, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, it makes sense that they're going to, like, kind of uh, be more receptive to sure. it. But I do think there is general wide appeal for this film, regardless of that. I agree. If you want to check it out as well, it is just under two hours, 116 minutes long. It's available now, I believe, still in some select theaters, and you can also find it on VOD. All right, our next film is one that I've been very anxious to talk about. I think this could be the next the next big fight. Actually, no, I think I think you might like this one, Which too. Which is but <laughs> interesting because I was the one that was pushing for this film. <laughs> uh, I Yeah, I mean, you brought it up a few times. Um, I, well, yeah, but I was, I was looking like, forward to it. I just wasn't like sure, super like gotta see it, you know, anything like that. Sure, I just feel like when we were talking about like a week or so ago, like things we should cover. I was like, I'm hearing really good things about the killing of two. Well, lovers. that was just a timing thing. I wanted to do a whole bonus episode, but we just couldn't work okay. out. Yeah, sure. it wasn't. It wasn't that I wasn't excited about it. I was just. But I think like uh, I'm talking about even before we proposed a bonus episode. Like I was just talking like for the next week or last week's episode. Um, I was like, hey, this is one that we might want to put on the radar. And you're like, I guess I can probably get a screen. You are, you are, you are distorting reality a little bit here. I am not. (laughs) You're making it sound like you came to me with like, 
just like a little change bucket of like spare change John. <laughs> like, i don't know i remember it being a little bit more flippant like that i was like oh i guess there's killing of two lovers but who cares and i see i'm doing the same thing i uh, see I, I would review <laughs> the tape but go okay. ahead and uh uh check or introduce this movie i mean all right the killing of two lovers and this is probably the extent of the the heat between the two of us but yeah this is a new indie drama it was written directed produced and edited by robert mccoyan it takes place in utah it stars clean crawford sepi de muafi chris coy avery pizzuto ari graham and ezra graham and it actually premiered at Sundance last year. That's when I first heard about it. And Neon got the rights to it, uh, I think, uh, not too long ago. I think like end of 2020, Neon got the distribution. And I do, I really wanted to see it sun, this at Sundance last year, but just didn't quite get to it. But I heard really good things. And its Rotten Tomato score is interesting. It's an 88%. So it's a little bit lower than I thought it would be because I think this movie is terrific one of my favorite movies of the year i'm very anxious to talk about it i think that it's uh yeah it's a, it's a shame that it's kind of being like it feels like it's kind of like being dumped right now in like early summer when i think that it's it's something that deserves way more attention but i i want to highlight to clay crawford is the main guy in this movie what a performance it's one of the performances that i think at the end of the year when we're looking in like the oscar conversation i'll be just in so much pain because I think that he is one of the most worthy actors of getting like a best actor nomination. And I'm feeling like that's not going to happen. <laughs> Very unlikely. The setup for this movie is that Clayton Crawford is the estranged father of these kids, uh, estranged only in the sense that his wife uh, and him have been having a falling out. They got married when they were very young, still in high school uh, because she got pregnant. So they have a teenage daughter and three boys. And she is starting to kind of move on from the relationship, even though they are not legally divorced. They have been separated, trying to figure things out. And we really just watched this man in snowy Utah. He's staying with his father, not too far from the house itself. And he is just silently painfully grieving his situation and most of this movie is us sort of peeking into his psyche uh, the good the bad and the terrible because there uh, most of this movie kind of shows how he is with people on the outside which is you know vulnerable he is trying to be understanding of the situation he's trying to win back his wife um, who is starting to see another man but the movie also shows us because it's it's you know sometimes it feels like it's just in real time there are a lot of long takes in this it shows us that know that underneath there is something really dark something really toxic struggling to get out and he doesn't quite know what to do with it i think that of the movies i've seen very recently the last year or so uh, or maybe a couple of years this to me is one of the best films at capturing the multi-dimensional issues that men face and that men struggle with and don't i think always have the tools to process and to express in a healthy way and i found this movie so instructive in that sense and beneficial for people to see to kind of understand like yeah men come off a certain way sometimes but there can be something really dark underneath that needs to be resolved because if it isn't 
it can result in something really bad. Uh, so I'm, I'm a huge fan of this movie, but it sounds like you got something you want to bring up. I was just going to say a good old classic example of what they call on Twitter, toxic masculinity. It's a buzzword at this point, a loaded term for sure. And I think sometimes people hear toxic masculinity and they're like, you're just trying, you're anti-man. You're you're just trying to make men the villain of every story. And I think that that is not, first of all, that's not the way that I use the term. That is not the way that I think that people should use it. It's not about that. It it really is something that's trying to benefit and help men to overcome a lot of these problems so i just want to be super clear about that because like sometimes i'm just saying like i don't think we use the word wrong or anything but i think some people hear that it's like the word woke it just gets like bastardized by people with bad intentions trying to like create problems you know and so I, i just wanted to put that out there that i think that this movie please please do not hear us being like men are the worst it's nothing like that sure well we're two dudes just talking it out. Um, we're here. We're here for our bros. That's all I'm saying. Sure, dudes rock. Um, yeah. I, well, to be fair, toxic masculinity is a phrase, not a word. But I do agree with you otherwise. Sorry, yeah, um, yeah. I, a term. You know, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, no. I mean, that's definitely. I think. I mean, when I was reading about the film, I didn't see anything about it going into it. But when I just kind of read the general synopsis, I was like, yeah, that that sounds like my bag. And sure enough. I did like it quite a bit. Yeah, I think what impresses me about the film is how it's able to communicate, as you were mentioning, this sort of heightened sense of intensity and like this like overwhelming sense of dread, while also incorporating another different sort of dread that's like a different vibe, but it's rather seamless in the film, which is a sort of like domestic discomfort. And like this kind of like small scale sense of like, like not a lot is really happening in his life. But like, there is like this constant sense of like, he's going to say or do the wrong thing and like everything's just going to blow up in his face. Like even beyond the kind of general sense of like, he might do something really bad to other people. Like there's this like sense of like, he's going to slip up and like say the wrong thing to his daughter. And that's going to like drive him away from his wife even more. And like, he's going to not really be there for his kids more than he already is at this point. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's a very showy film, which, uh, I admire and also kind of bugs me because it's it's so style heavy that it just kind of feels like because this is a new and upcoming filmmaker that they're almost kind of like showing off being like, look what I can do. Like, look how I can incorporate negative space. Look how I can use the box frame or like, um, what do you call that? Where it's like everything now looks like it's like filmed the in a box. The aspect ratio of it. Yeah, and... aspect ratio. Yeah, but what the, I forget what, is that 1.4? or No, 4.3, 4 by 3, I think, is it? Yeah, that's like that's what I meant. Because um, it it does shift at one point to like yeah. I think one point something, but I won't specify when because that's a spoiler. Um, but yeah, I mean I think I agree with everything you said. I mean in terms of like the themes and the thematics of it, it's a very well done character drama, very focused character drama, uh, and it's also a brisk I think eighty seven minutes. Um, I know it's under ninety minutes, which I also it's eighty four really minutes. Yeah, eighty four. Yeah. It's real. It's a real tight firecracker of a movie. It is, yeah. There's no fluff in this whatsoever. Yeah, to me, it's like kind of the reverse of the Hateful Eight in terms of its cinematography. That was a movie that had these massive landscapes for only part of it, but then like most of it was interior. So you had like a seventy millimeter like widescreen experience, but interior indoors. This movie has a lot of landscapes. It has a lot of this movie is spent outside. Uh, like the vast majority of, yeah. of it is outside, yeah. but yeah, it's boxed in. 
And I think that, yeah, it's the reverse in that sense. And I, I think that it serves the story personally. I don't think it's it's flashy for the sake of it. I do think I'm not saying it's flashy for the sake of it. I'm just saying it's just, the presentation of the film is pretty showy just in terms of like, look what I can yeah. do. But I agree with you that it does serve the point of the film. So it's not like it's just bad. I don't, I, I, I don't know if I'm explaining myself. It's, but, I don't think it's gratuitous um, is what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I, I agree. I think that like it's helped a lot because this movie kind of lives and dies by the central performance. If if Crawford isn't good in this, then it doesn't yeah. work. Who uh, produced it as well, I believe, right? Uh, he did, yeah. Um, he produced yeah. it along with, uh, yeah, Robert McCoy and the director and Scott Christopherson. But he he has to balance such a difficult, almost impossible line between being sympathetic and pitiful and outright villainous because the movie starts with a moment that immediately sets our minds about him and then the rest of the movie has to sort of bring all of that to a more multi-dimensional and more 360 degree view of a human being and i it feels almost like a magic trick the way that the movie pulls it off because it does it without ever going down this road of being like hey even if even if if somebody does something super terrible and super wrong, you just sort of have to forgive them, you know, sans anything else. And I, I think the the fact that the movie is so tight that, and it avoids that problem, I think is the mark of a really focused filmmaker who had a lot of confidence in what he had to say. And, and I think that, man, this movie is just devastating. Like watching this guy, this dad with his kids and just like the painfulness of niceness you know, this like halfway insincere, like congenial performance within a performance where he's being a certain way in order to get something he wants. Uh, but the thing that he wants is something that is like understandable. Of course, he wants to, you know, save his marriage. He wants to be with his kids. But I think, yeah, the, the movie also reckons with his intentions of him trying to like win back his marriage and yeah i'll just say this movie's last like 15 minutes were just jaw-dropping to me like i i could like i thought i had this movie figured out and i i still am like processing kind of where it goes from there how it deals with certain things and it's just yeah it's it's a it's a knockout for me yeah i mean i wish i was as positive as you are but i definitely agree that um everything that you're saying is key to why I find it to be a very good film and uh, I generally just tend to enjoy films like this that uh, tend to be very specific in their focus and have a very intent point but they also find the sort of dry and dark humor of their their kind of sad and and as you said pathetic main character it's a very kind of like Judy Hill type thing um, and I guess to some extent the Coens as well <laughs> uh, since we brought them up before sure. but um but yeah, I mean, I agree with you that I think the director here, he has a very uh, specific and pointed sense of style and a very clear idea of who he wants his character to be and how he wants to communicate that. And likewise, through Clance Crawford's performance, he's able to channel that uh, that sense of discomfort and anxiety and dread in a way that that is uh, unnerving but not overly taxing. And I think also that's key to why being 84 minutes is why this works really well because like i can't imagine this they them pulling this off at a like even 104 minute runtime uh so yeah i mean very a very economical film in that sense as well and uh yeah just a good just a good film very tense 
you know, I was, you know, some of these scenes, I'm like sitting at the edge of my seat, literally, like I can't like relax, you know, like yeah. I'm just like, what in the world is going to happen next? Such a, such a great debut film in that, in that sense that he was able to pull that off. I was very compelled by it. And, you know, I kind of got into this in the beginning. I just, I just think that there's something so simple, but also so valuable about a character study like this, where I just think that sometimes I, I just get the feeling that I like the, the demons that men face are sort of like written off or downplayed. And there's a, there's a real problem with, with violence and how men use violence to sort of like get past their emotional hangups. And I think ultimately that's what this film is about. And I think it actually has something a little unconventional to say about that in a way that kind of surprised me. I think it was it was headed toward an ending where I think that could have been totally trite and definitely not the kind of, like, where it ends up being, where it ends up being, like, one of the most claustrophobic scenes I've ever seen in the outdoors, you know? Like, it's just, it really is one of those things. And I, I don't, I, I think toxic masculinity is the way to, is, is certainly a, a, an effective descriptor, um, despite it, the way I think some people misuse that term. But to me, I see it more as like a, a masculinity in crisis more than anything else. And I, I think that this movie is just trying to like reckon with that. My only issues with it will hold me back from this being like a home run in every sense is I, I think that the, the father character is a little underutilized. I think they kind of drop some threads with that. I think they maybe end the movie a little bit too soon to maybe get into the dynamic between the father and son. I think that that's, that's kind of just like spoken about, but it's not quite, and it doesn't really go anywhere where I thought that was kind of a little misleading almost. Um, I'm not sure if that's fair to say, to be honest. Um, I, I don't think it's misleading, but I think they, they could have done a little bit more to set up this character to make the ending hit a little bit harder. Yeah. It, I mean, to me, it would make sense to bring the dad more into it because ultimately it's a movie about dads. And sure. I just think that, yeah, yeah, he's barely a side character. So, yeah, though to me, just felt like a missed opportunity, if anything, but doesn't yeah. wreck the movie whatsoever. I mean, just based on how the movie chooses to incorporate his character at the end, it just kind of feels like they, they could have done a little bit more to set that up, especially with the, the lean runtime. But, sure. yeah, I mean, I don't think it's ineffective how they incorporate him in the film as it is. But yeah, I've said a lot. <laughs> Clearly, I'm a big fan of this movie. I hope a lot of people watch it. And uh, I don't think, you know, I'm going to give it a pretty high grade. I don't think everyone's going to have the same experience with it. I think some people are going to maybe not love this movie as much. I could see some people being bored by it because they're just not on its wavelength. I, I could see that happening. That would be a shame. But I hope people check it out anyway, because I think that's a worthwhile experience for sure. So I'm an A- minus on The Killing of Two Lovers. Definitely one of my favorites of 2021 that i've seen so far uh what about you will ashen b minus uh, c plus how are we feeling <laughs> uh i'm not as high as you are but not too far from it either i'd, I'd give it a firm b plus uh, i just think it generally works the way it's intended to and i found it to be appropriately unnerving um i yeah i mean i i did find its presentation maybe a little too flashy it, it did almost take me out of the film at times but at the same time, I think it's very smartly executed. Uh, I think it knows exactly what it wants to be, and by and large, I think it pulls it off. So, good stuff. I just said B minus to guard my heart. Also, we didn't mention the sound editing in this. There's some of that kind of incorporated. That yeah, the score is really uh, unique. 
it is it is it's it's this is a whole episode of movies that are their own thing (laughs) in some ways at least for for some of these movies but yeah i i thought that it was pretty effective i whenever like these like sound cues started happening i was like "Uh oh you know and it was a very weirdly almost like unexpectedly effective way of getting into his head that i i just found different uh different in a good way you say all these movies are different, but at their core, they all are about like these hyper masculine men who have troubled relationships with their daughters. I mean, isn't that like most movies in general, to be fair? Sure, but it's just like they're very specifically all about that. So it's just kind of a fascinating That's thing funny, that, like, actually. yeah, totally, they're all over the map. Yeah, yeah. But like at their core, they're all kind of similar at the same time. They do, so. they do have a running oh, th- yeah, yeah, this episode of Cinemaholics has a running theme. That is to be certain. Daddy issues. <laughs> yeah, daddy <laughs> issues for sure. All right. Yeah. On that note, <laughs> Killing of Two Lovers, uh, it is available to watch. Uh, I believe it's in select theaters and VOD, I think. I'm not 100% sure about that. Uh, I, th- I mm-hmm. think you can watch it on VOD right now, maybe virtual cinemas. It is just 84 minutes long, as we mentioned. And that'll do it for this week's episode of Cinemaholics. We'll be back next week to talk Cruella, Quiet Place Part 2, maybe a few other things. Uh, thank you as always for listening. Connect with us on all the social media stuff. You know what to do. All that stuff's in the show notes. And yeah, hopefully we'll be able to get back to the theaters a little bit more regularly. I hope that will be the case. Will, when is the next time you were going to be back in the theater? Do you know? I don't. I'm going to try to go um, at least one more time before the weekend. Because like you said, at some point I'll have to see Corella and A Quiet Place Part 2. So at the latest, seeing one of those two probably on Friday or Saturday. But gonna try to uh, go uh, at least one more time before then hopefully sounds good and yeah if any of you listening or planning in a theater of course be safe be cautious make great choices all of that stuff and we'll see you next week from the internet california i am john agroni and for internet pennsylvania i'm lesson see you next time <laughs>